0: please the court, I'd like to reserve two minutes for rebuttal. This morning, I'm going to focus primarily on one issue. Supreme Court precedent does not foreclose the plaintiff's challenge to Oregon's requirement that attorneys join the Oregon State Bar. In Keller v. State Bar of California, the Supreme Court held that a mandatory bar association violates attorneys' First Amendment rights when it uses their mandatory dues for political or ideological activities not germane to regulating the legal profession or improving the quality of services. At the end of the Keller decision, there was one issue, it was not resolved. And that's the question of whether it violates an attorney's right to freedom of association to require an attorney to join a bar association that engages in non-germane speech. The plaintiff's claim presents that issue. The plaintiffs allege that the Oregon State Bar engages in non-germane speech. They allege that they don't want to be associated with that speech or with the bar, and they allege that requiring them to associate with that speech and with the bar violates their First Amendment right to freedom of association. It's true the plaintiff's claim well, counsel, also... Counsel, that, that claim... So, this, so these are kind of weird cases,
1: because you start with Lathrop, Lathrop, however you say it, and then, then you have Keller, and then you have Morrow from our court, the Ninth Circuit. And it seems to me, looking at the record in those cases, that it, it, there's a strong argument that this claim that you're talking about, what I what I call the what I've started calling the pure uh, free association claim, to distinguish it from the claim that was addressed in Keller, which has more to do with the, the money. Um, that claim was raised in all those cases. Uh, it was raised in Lathrop. When you look at, they it, it, it didn't seem to address it. Um It's not real clear what they did in last year, but it's not super clear. It is clear to me that they did not address it um, in the last, in the, in the second to last paragraph in, in Keller. They specifically said, and, and the Supreme Court gets to do that. But the weird thing is, is it, it does seem like it was raised in Morrow. Um, and then, and then it, it, it seems like Morrow said, well, we're not addressing the claim that Keller didn't address, but it was raised in Morrow and this court doesn't really get to, it's not like the Supreme Court. It can't just say, we don't, we don't want to, We don't want to address the claim that you raised even though you raised it. So what are we supposed to do with Morrow? I I think it wasn't addressed in Morrow, but it was raised in Morrow. So what do we do with that?
0: Well, one thing Morrow makes clear is that Keller did reserve an issue related to lawyers' right to freedom of association with respect to bar associations. Morrow is very unclear as to what that remaining issue is, uh, but Keller is clear as to what that issue is, and that is association with – a our association. Well, Maro, that Maro, seemed to, Maro seemed to think that that was – it was
1: you know, it said – Maro seemed to interpret – as best I can read Maro, seemed to interpret Keller as, uh, as having reserved some sort of what you might call an extreme free association claim. I don't know what that claim would be. They're not real clear about that, but something more extreme than the claim that you're raising – or that was actually raised in Keller, or as actually raised in 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 Morrow. Or in fact, I don't know if anybody's ever raised it. I, I think partly because it would be such an extreme claim. So I, so if if that's what Morrow was doing, it wasn't actually right. It wasn't correct. So what do we do with a decision that sort of incorrectly characterized a claim and then decided not to reach it? But there was a claim before it, and and arguably it implicitly
0: decided it. It, it implicitly decided the claims that were before. One thing that this court can do, a panel of this court, uh, if it believes that a previous addressed an issue, but the Supreme Court has, in the meantime, issued a decision that doesn't overrule that past decision, but is closely on point, the, the court can now take account of the uh, intervening Supreme Court decisions. and. So uh, since Keller and since Moro, the Supreme Court has made clear that exacting First Amendment scrutiny applies to this sort of yeah, uh, but that's First a pretty, Amendment. counsel. That's a pretty high standard. If we're going to,
1: to take a more recent Supreme Court case and say it has uh, overruled, I mean, our standard on that is pretty high. What do we? Could, are we bound by a prior panel's decision if it doesn't provide any reasoning? If it just implicitly decided
0: something? not in this instance where there's an intervening Supreme Court precedent that makes clear that there is a, a level of First Amendment scrutiny that the court should apply, that the court definitely didn't apply in the previous case. This court has never applied exacting First Amendment scrutiny to mandatory membership in a bar association that engages in non-germane speech. And, and certainly Lathrop didn't do that either. Uh, Lathrop didn't consider Germain versus non-Germain activities, and Keller uh, specifically said that Lathrop had not addressed the freedom of association as issue that it was reserving. So, uh, in light of all those let things, you, let me ask this you. Court- let me ask you a related question. It,
1: there's also sort of the the weirdness, for lack of a better word, that I think I agree with you that that Keller decided the money claim. You know what, and, and 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 but it did not decide the pure free association claim, but but is you know Keller did allow there to be integrated bars, Lathrop did allow there to be integrated bars, Morrow did allow that. I mean, it's it's sort of um, it's sort of odd to say for decades we've had these these cases and they've allowed them by not reaching the claim, but they were they were unconstitutional all this time. I mean, I,
0: I you see what I'm saying? Like it's just kind of a, an odd circumstance for us to be in under those precedents, even if we put uh, Janus versus ASME to the side, uh, under those precedents, uh, you can have a bar association that is limited to engaging in germane speech, but the courts explicitly left open in Keller that you that uh, you might not be able to have one that engages in non-germane speech and didn't address that. And given that it didn't address that, that's still an open question, and it's one that's... Uh, uh especially important to address now that the Supreme Court has clarified that exacting First Amendment scrutiny should apply when you have this kind of association for expressive activity. Uh, the defendants argue that Harris versus Quinn addressed the exacting scrutiny uh issue. Uh it did not do so. Uh it, it Harris versus Quinn involved mandatory fees taken from people who were not government who received a government subsidy and it makes sense that the court would want to clarify in harris as it did that it wasn't overruling keller when it said that because of course keller involved taking money from people who weren't government employees but that's all the court was saying was harris doesn't overrule keller harris did not purport to address the issue that keller left unresolved obviously and Harris also didn't say anything about whether mandatory membership could survive exacting scrutiny. It didn't say anything about whether uh, the government could serve its interest in regulating the legal profession in a way that was less restrictive of First Amendment rights than a mandatory association. Uh, I'll touch briefly also on the plaintiff's first claim for relief, which alleges that even if mandatory membership isn't inherently unconstitutional, uh, the uh the Oregon State Bar doesn't provide the safeguards that Keller requires. Uh, Keller requires that an objecting member's dues be placed in escrow. The Oregon State Bar doesn't even purport to do that with an objecting member's dues uh, and yet the district court found that uh, um, that requirement was satisfied and that alone requires reversal on that claim. Also uh, the uh, plaintiffs alleged that the Oregon State Bar doesn't provide sufficient information for members to judge the propriety of their uh, uh, dues, and the plaintiffs uh, should have an opportunity to develop a record on that. The Keller decision contemplated that there might be alternative safeguards other than those get specified that could suffice. It said consideration of those would have to come with a more fully developed record. So at, at the very least, Plaintiff should have an opportunity to develop that record to determine whether what the Oregon State Bar is doing actually protects First Amendment rights in the way that Keller contemplates.
1: Counsel, do you want to reserve? You only have about a minute left. I will
0: reserve the balance of my time. thank You,
1: you may proceed.
2: Good morning, Your Honor's. May it please the court. Elisa Dezono for defendant appellees. Uh the district court in this case correctly noted that it was bound by Supreme Court and Ninth Circuit precedent.
1: So counsel, do you do you agree that Keller left some claim open? Do you agree or not agree? I,
2: I think that maybe your honor was on the right track in terms of maybe it left open a claim of some extreme situation. Where- that's, not,
1: that's not okay let me okay let me read what it says. It says in addition to their claim for relief based on respondents use of their mandatory dues, their complaint requests an injunction prohibiting the state bar from using its name to advance political and ideological causes or beliefs. That's just another way of saying they want an injunction stopping the bar um, that they have to be a member of from engaging in non germane stuff. And it says this request for relief appears to implicate a much broader freedom association claim that was at issue in Lathrop. In in Lathrop, the only only challenge are compelled financial support, but they urge urge that they cannot be compelled to associate with an organization that engages in political or ideological activities beyond those for which mandatory financial support is justified under the principles of Lathrop and Abood. And then the Supreme Court says California courts didn't address this. We decline to do so in the first instance. State courts, of course, can uh, consider this on remand. That's not an extreme claim. That's exactly the claim that they're raising here. Now, maybe Morrow was talking about some sort of extreme claim. If that's the case, then Morrow was mischaracterizing Keller, but Keller was not talking about some extreme claim, and it would be kind of extreme and absurd for the Supreme Court to brought up an extreme claim because um, because there was no extreme claim presented. I don't know of any case where they've presented some sort of like, they're actually like making me sign the bar's statements. So, you know, the bar's non, non-germane non ideological statements. They're making me put my name. So. I don't think that's right, counsel. But tell me why I'm wrong.
2: So, as as you noted, your honor, um, under Agostini, if the Supreme Court, if there is direct application of a Supreme Court case, then the Ninth Circuit must apply that precedent, even if it appears there to rest on some reasons um, that are rejected in some other lines of decisions by subsequent cases. And so, what's the
1: what's the directly applicable case you know, that says that says that, that it has what I call the pure free association claim?
2: Well, I was going to I was going to say that Keller is actually the is the direct application here, but it's not
1: the last the, the, the second to last paragraph in Keller specifically left that claim open. It's not if you I, I went back and read it again last night. It, it's not some sort of extreme claim. It's exactly almost word for word the claim being raised in this case.
2: But Keller specifically contemplates that there may be speech that a member of the bar disagrees with. And that's why you have the safeguards that are in place in order to protect... Right, the right. So Keller
1: decides that in, in in the context of a different doctrine. It does. And so that's what I was saying. It's a little weird that it left this open. But the Supreme Court gets to do that all the time. Supreme Court gets to say, you brought two claims. We're going to address one. We're going to address one. But, you know, it must be nice to be a Supreme Court because they just don't have to address the other. Like, it could be that the other means that the activity is completely unconstitutional. But this just doesn't seem like the right case. In this case, what they said is... We want the california courts we, we want this to percolate a little more in the lower courts so you're right that this other claim the one that, that your opposing counsel didn't even talk about this morning because he's you know i think that is foreclosed by keller was decided by the courts this claim was clearly not decided by keller i think uh
2: i, I disagree your honor it is decided because there as you said the compulsory um what language in this about?
1: paragraph would lead you to say that it's the extreme what we might call the extreme Free association
2: claim. Because on page, uh, let me see, what page is this? Uh, page six, 15 through 16 of Keller, uh, Keller's specific, the court is specifically talking about the difficulty in deciding where the line is between germane and non germane speech. And so Keller is specifically contemplating that that there will be speech that may be political or ideological.
1: Um, yep. You no, know, I, I know, but it doesn't, it doesn't say. What you do it doesn't address this particular claim, so yeah, it, it, contemplates, it is, yeah, but it, doesn't it addresses
2: address though the, the safeguards that should be in place, and it points as an example to Chicago teachers versus Hudson um, as the way that you would then protect dissenters rights well, I think
1: to. I think your argument then, counsel would be, and I understand it has a certain amount of force to say, yeah, but the Supreme Court was kind of assuming that it must be constitutional because it allowed it to continue. But that's not really how the supreme court does things the supreme court can completely decide one issue leave another issue completely undecided and then come back later or have the lower courts come back later and decide that the the conduct was completely unconstitutional even though this other doctrine didn't lead to the con to the the other type of claim didn't lead to that conclusion so i don't think that works i don't think it works to say well the supreme court was assuming that you could have this kind of speech it doesn't work when the supreme court said there's a whole claim that we haven't addressed and we're blatantly leaving it open. We have to, we, this claim is not foreclosed to us unless it's foreclosed by Morrow, I don't think.
2: And I agree that Morrow uh, definitively addresses the associational claim because they specifically talk in Morrow about how a member of the California bar with the number of its members um, is uh, should not be, one member of the bar cannot be um, completely associated with all of the members of the bar. Um, so so, so as, I, I
1: read Morrow, as I read Morrow, it, it, it says – it's a weird, weird decision because it says multiple times they complain about the fact that they're forced to be a part of this, this entity that engages in, in speech they don't agree with. And then, and then at the very end it says they don't complain about being part of an entity that, that gives speech that they don't agree with, and so we're not going to reach that claim. It, it, it doesn't um, make sense to me. But how can that be binding on us if that's if, i mean there's no analysis at all if it did decide this issue it didn't provide any analysis at all
2: but keller and morrow both you know again decide the compulsory membership um uh, issue and then it's really the safeguards i think that both of those opinions are discussing
1: well council, if let we me ask you have... this if it didn't if, pretend you're me for a second and you're having trouble seeing that they decide this issue how do you win on this claim on the pure free association claim if if our hands aren't tied and we have to reach it?
2: I believe your hands are tied on the on the free association claim as you're calling it, um, and they are also tied in terms of the um, what is required for an integrated bar to continue to speak um, for its members. On a political or ideological issue, so long as it is speaking regarding the um, purposes for which it is statutorily um, created, and that is for improving the quality of legal services or regulating its members, that's completely different from Janus, um, which was overturning a boot on the basis of the lack of a compelling governmental interest in labor peace or free ridership. Um, so to here make sure you I understand have a compelling governmental.
1: Make sure i understand are you saying that you that and this is an answer i guess is it is that they is we don't engage in non germane activity and so and so as long as we don't engage in non germane activity then lathrop would apply i don't think keller does because it left it but lathrop would apply to if you're if you if you always behave yourself and never engage in non germane activity
2: and the oregon state bar does have in its bylaws in numerous places that it does not engage in non germane speech And that's why you have to have the safeguards. I think this is more about the safeguards than anything. Um, I do also want to note that um, the Ninth Circuit has repeatedly um, held that a motion to dismiss is acceptable in a case like this because they have consistently held that Keller and Lathrop um, applied in an integrated bar speech case Um, and I would disagree with counsel, uh, my opposing counsel that Harris does not, um, uh, apply here. Uh, in Harris, Justice Alito writing for, for the court, just as he did in Janus, noted that, um, while the respondents contended that there was, that refusing to extend a boot, uh, would call into question Keller, that they were mistaken. And that well, counsel, that can I just, Harris, can I ask, can Keller, I ask you?
1: once again because i think when i asked you earlier how do you win if our hands aren't tied you basically said <laughs> you did say your hands are tied um but but i am curious like if i don't think my hands are tied how do you win if we i mean do, first of all do we apply do we apply janice and all of the supreme court's free association uh precedent what what do we do if our hands aren't tied and we think that the keller claim not the color claim the free association claim is is an open question
2: If, the, if what you're saying is that the, the open claim in Keller is a bar that consistently engages in non-germain speech, I don't think that's the situation here. You have a bar that has in its bylaws, doesn't, doesn't engage in non-germain speech, has constitutional procedures in place in accordance with prior Supreme Court precedent.
1: But, but counsel, and, just saying, this is a motion to dismiss, so, and, and, and the plaintiff said you don't engage in germane speech. And they gave some examples of what, you know, and but at the end of the day, I don't know that we can just say, well, you know, they're wrong on what they, on what they said. So like, assuming that you engage in, I, you know, some, maybe just a teeny bit, but you engage in some non germane speech and assuming that the, that the free association claim has not been decided by Keller and Morrow, then how do you win? Or how do you, you know, how do, how do we not send this back to have the court address this using the Supreme Court's? Um, uh, pure, pure free association precedent, which I think would include Janice and some other cases.
2: Uh, your honor, I see that I'm out of time. May I can go That's all right. I'll
1: give you more time. (laughs)
2: Uh, so. We still, uh, we still win because on a motion to dismiss. Um, the facts are not are not here pled um, to survive a motion to dismiss under Iqbal. There, there are only conclusory allegations as to the, um, bar's speech being non-germane. Um, and here you have one instance in the 85 years of the Oregon State Bar, uh, where it's alleged that, um, that, that the bar engaged in non-germane speech. Um, one instance where it's contested by one of its, by some of its 14,000 members. And that's just simply not enough to, to survive a motion to dismiss under ICCWAL. Thank
1: you. Thank you, Council, very much. Uh, thank you. you. can use your time for
0: rebuttal. Uh, thank you. Uh, it certainly won't suffice to say that the Oregon State Bar has bylaws that says that it has to only do germane things. Uh, the bar has used that to argue against plaintiff's first claim for relief and say, uh, we give you enough information about what we do because we have this bylaw that says everything we do is germane. Therefore, uh, you know that everything we do is germane. But that's not how Keller is supposed to work. Under Keller, uh, attorneys are supposed to be able to get information about what the bar is doing. And if the plaintiffs haven't pled more details about what the bar is doing with their money, that's in part because the bar doesn't provide them as the the counsel. Can I ask you one does. question about about that? And that is, um, I, I
1: think you're, that makes sense. And the Supreme Court in the union context is very clear that you you can't just take their word for it. So to speak. that's the whole reason why we have these procedures. But there is a little bit of a difference here in that you know unions deliberately were engaging in. And, uh, you know, that, that, that they were gonna, they, they say we're gonna do some non-germane stuff and we're gonna do some, uh, we're gonna do some political advocacy type stuff and we're gonna, and, and so they, that's, whereas here, uh, while you don't necessarily have to take the bar's word for it, um, and maybe the bar does sometimes engage in non-germane speech, they try not to, it sounds like, unlike the unions, which they, so does that make a difference when you've got an entity that is, Trying not to, you know, that it anticipates that generally speaking it won't be engaging in non german speech. Whereas other, you know, in the union context, I think they were anticipating they, they would be oftentimes engaging in non-germane speech.
0: It shouldn't make a difference because a bar association could uh, consistently overestimate what counts as germane speech. And we have that issue here where the plaintiffs challenge statements that appear to be totally non-germane, and yet the Bar Association defends them as being germane, showing that it takes a different, a much more expansive idea of what counts as germane speech. And whether it's intentional or not, attorneys have the same right and the same uh, interest in protecting themselves against subsidizing that speech. Thank you, counsel. Thank you both. Um, This case, uh,
1: Crow versus Oregon State Bar, um, will be submitted.